0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Okay, sometimes those that listen to my podcast, you know that, uh, I don't know if it's daring or just stupidity on my part, but I'm I'm okay in going into deep waters that I shouldn't be swimming in. And sometimes that happens when I, I venture off into the technology space so i could be dangerous at a cocktail party but you wouldn't want me in the middle of a sprint for a dev team uh. I am looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be spending time today with Ruth Bierman. She's the Senior Director of Product and Design at Digital Ed. Uh, we've had really nice conversations off air, and uh, she is she's a secret agent to me in, in her background and what she does. And so that's a little side joke there. But uh, Ruth, it's so nice to spend some time with you. So take me back. So <laughs> at what point in your, in your educational journey did you say, as a young girl, or at, will you tell me sort of the age where you said, you know this technology thing is pretty cool. And I kind of understand it. And it's, it might be my jam because we hear, you know, I mean, for what feels like eons that we've done a really poor job. It's much better now, but like when I was growing up, we weren't supporting young women in STEM fields. Right. I mean, it just wasn't a part of it. Uh, So talk about sort of your journey and when it clicked for you that not only did you enjoy it, but it felt like a path of success for you.
1: Yeah, uh that that that's a great question. So it started super young. Um I went, yeah, and I'm <laughs> probably dating myself a little bit, but I remember as soon as we got uh, our, uh actually as soon as we had the Media 500, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Working on uh Deluxe Paint, <laughs> putting together different <laughs> images and stuff like that. And then uh, later on, we ended up getting uh, a Windows 95 computer and the internet and uh, I got onto GeoCities and I started making my own websites. And uh, I, wow, I you were learned, an
0: early adopter.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, learning HTML, uh, CSS was not a thing yet. Uh, so I'm I'm probably dating myself quite a bit there. What about but, DOS. Uh, oh, Do- yeah, of course. <laughs> 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 that was that was way <laughs> back. But uh, you know, just kind of building these little web pages, uh, and I was super. Even back then, super concerned about the layout and how easy it was to use. And I, I actually called in and, and got televised on Call for Help way, way back, asking uh, a couple of questions uh, to Amber Mack, who was a, a usability specialist back then at, um, I think it was Sapient Nitro or uh, or Razorfish. It was one of those agencies. And so uh, she would provide like free help or advice on like uh, usability. And so it started way, way back. Uh, When it started to become a career, um, I had always had this passion for design and I actually was at Rogers and uh, I I was a business analyst and I was mostly looking at uh, processes and analytics. And then every once in a while, they started asking my opinion about how software should be used, um, mostly because I was a call center agent at one point in my career there and worked my way up. And uh, I understood the systems. I understood the processes because I was a call center agent. And so they would ask me my opinion on call center software, um, u- user experience design. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, and I, I decided I really loved this design thing. And uh, my career kind of took off from there in user experience design. I, I started to pursue that pretty heavily after.
0: That I love that I did not know that would be the answer. I mean, uh, some people would maybe say they stumbled upon it in college, and you know, for whatever reason. But it's it started incredibly early for you. What has I find it interesting when people have a passion early on and they become so honed in on on their skill set, right? And so I would imagine it is incredibly fine tuned for you, just because it was a natural thing for you that you enjoyed. It came out of an emotional experience of enjoyment in that manner. How do you separate yourself from a UI, UX perspective when you have sort of a work hat and or your personal life? Are you able to enjoy UI, UX and the intentionality of whoever designed that on the other side of the technology? Or how do you balance that out so that you don't become either a cynic or too attached to the UI, UX?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I separate that very well, to be honest with you. And part of that is because I think part of why I love... I love this so much is because I always loved like I felt like products, great products kind of bring delight to your life. Right. Like um, when you have something that is that is genuinely solving a problem, you're just like, "Ah." (laughs) you know, and so I don't think I do separate it that well. Like I'm kind of the person that will obsess over what is the best anything, like what is the best, uh, you know, dental floss. It doesn't really matter what it is. I will kind of obsessively look for sort of the perfect solution for whatever problem I'm facing. And it's actually no different when it comes to the digital products that I'm I'm working with. So in terms of like a life. Uh, a life uh work separation with that. I don't know if there is one. I think I think when you're just kind of obsessed with products, you're you're obsessed with products like all all around you. um and is, especially- is it an uneasy
0: feeling, Ruth? So you work in a world. so this is this is coming from someone that is great. like I just have such an appreciation for people that have the skill set that you and others have that bring us all of this incredible technology that we can then engage with. But what is it like to work in an industry where, you know what works and what doesn't work, but you also work in sort of this gray area. (laughs) this like floating zone of anything's possible. Like things that we didn't even think of we're now using. And that was just maybe a couple of years ago. So there's this constant, I would imagine, ability to float, but also feel like you're standing on solid ground in your opinions, your ideas, Can you walk, what, what does that feel like to have sort of a blank canvas and understand where maybe the boundaries are, but yet you don't want the boundaries to limit your creativity?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think, I think for these types of digital products that I I tend to work on, there's the, 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 it is a blank slate because anything is sort of possible. Right. But I at the end of the day you're solving problems for people it all comes down to to their jobs to be done like what are they actually trying to do And it doesn't matter you know it's abstracted away from any system any tool that they're using you're really just trying to get at you know what do they need whether it's an emotional thing whether it's you know a a tactical thing that they need to get done and that starts to shape um it it starts to kind of be like sort of the pencil the pencil sketch (laughs) first of uh of that of that canvas and then as you start to kind of learn a little bit more, as you start to ideate with with other folks uh, to figure out what's possible technologically, um, it, it starts to kind of fill in those other those other details over time. And sometimes it can be a bit complicated because when you're when you're directly asking people something, you know, there's this really great quote from Henry Ford that that says, "If I ask people what they wanted," they would they would say faster horses there's still wisdom to hearing that in a way like of course horses can't get faster but you start to kind of wonder about okay well what are the problems well they're alive <laughs> they you know need to be fed they need water they get tired you know um the horse is not the solution right there needs to be something else there's a gap um and that's not served and so Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit challenging sometimes. And, and by kind of understanding their context that they're working in, um, and, and what it is that they truly need, you can kind of sometimes hear behind solutions that they might be saying and, and find like sort of what their deeper need actually is. And and I would say that that's probably one of the hardest parts of it, but, uh, one of the most interesting and fun parts, and you kind of have to have a bit of an experimental attitude towards it as well. Um, is sometimes there is no solution uh, there is no pattern there's nothing out there yet and so sometimes the the best insights can come from just trying something putting it in front of people having them try it out and see if if that really delighted them um and so having a bit of a an experimental an experimental uh, approach or or scientific methodology to that can be can be enormously helpful
0: I'm glad you brought up Henry Ford that was a great example we're talking about feedback and I'm fascinated by this so Tell me about some initial experiences that you had that helped you, I guess, in your own development in being able to take in feedback. Because in your job, in product and design, you are really dependent upon feedback. I mean, this is sort of an exchange of information of my experience of what you've designed and or the way in which I'm able to engage with it based on the UI, UX and my perception of that. And you have to not only take that, but you have to be able to sort of distill what makes sense, what's practical, and then potentially what is offensive to you personally. Because, you know, it's like anything that we we all take pride in what we do. And when we put something out for consumption or for evaluation, it can sting a little bit if somebody is giving feedback that feels... Not that they mean it's personal, but we're so invested that that's how we experience it. And I think as we get go through our career, we hopefully get better and better at being able to take in that feedback, understand where it comes from, and then utilize that in a productive manner. Have you found that you've had to ride a wave like most people in that regard?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> especially earlier in my design career.
0: I wish people could see uh, your, your facial reaction to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, so so when I first when I first started user experience design, you know, one of the first experiences that I had was actually in in the marketing space. So I was working on digital products and uh web properties with many different clients, right? And uh, they all had different perspectives of what it is that they wanted and I, and, and sometimes, you know, had varying levels of tact in <laughs> providing feedback. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the the one thing that so, uh, of course, at first you're hearing, hey, this this, you know, design is garbage. That always hurts the first time you, you hear it. Right. And um, I remember seeing another designer have that same feedback and and smiling and saying, all right uh what what let's dig into this and uh <laughs> and then they were able to kind of uh turn it around and i i was super early in my career back then when i was observing this and i was like oh that's i first of all i was just like whoa! how did you do that <laughs> it seemed like magic <laughs> uh to to have control over your emotions in that way but it was also really inspiring and and it was a uh, you know ultimately at the end of it it's it's getting to the best outcome at the end of the day and helping kind of extract that feedback even if it's not coming out very clearly um or coming out you know sort of in a in in maybe a negative way um there's always a, i think there's always a way to kind of tap into okay what what exactly is it that we can we can fix about this we want it we want it to not be garbage we want it to be great and uh, what is it that um that's kind of you know uh, getting to that and it sort of helped depersonalize and externalize like that feedback it's it's really not about the design that you made there's some there's some elements to it that um you know there there is a little bit of neuroscience there's a little bit of of psychology to it you know nobody tells you how to use a cup it's just immediately evident to you and there's some psychological affordances that that teach you that uh, but when it comes to those fine elements that people need to provide feedback on around your design things that, um, you know, are not working well, ultimately that feedback is going to make it, make it great uh, no matter how it comes to you. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, a little bit of a lesson there early, early on.
0: Well, let's talk about inspiration. Um, so I'll, I'll speak for myself. So when it comes to my writing, I might be on an airplane and I might hear something or a noise or see some color or something that will then inspire me in something that I write a week later. And I treasure those moments because that sort of alleviates the pressure of in the moment of writing, right, that I I can pull from other pieces. What, what do you do or what have you found that is allows you to continue to enjoy as opposed to sort of just <laughs> buckling down and sort of the work and the grind of things that inspires you? And is it more the UI UX element outside your work that you see things you experience that give you inspiration? Is it a product that you can touch and feel or you can... You know, talk a little bit about what inspires you outside of your core competency
1: oh yeah that's great i mean there there's so many different things i mean part of it is just exposure to other stuff um when it comes to when it comes to like products and being inspired it doesn't matter whether it's a digital or physical product i i what i always get excited about is how well did they actually solve solve a problem. And that really kind of inspires me. Like, did they nail something that has been bothering me? And, uh, I've come across that with physical products as well as, as well as, uh, Uh, You know, digital. I mean, one example, and this is like maybe a silly example was, you know, I just I found like these, you know, uh, extension cord bars like so hideous and uh, I had a TV in my living room and I needed to find something and we found a product that made it look nice and sleek and, and made it look good. And uh, I was just like, man, this solved a, a problem for me that was probably silly, but i'm 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 amazed that somebody thought about it and put it on Amazon. <laughs> and so like, you know, it's just those little things like that that always inspire me. And so it's kind of two things. One is like, you know, when it's a product, did it solve a job that I needed, even if it's a silly one? Like I just want my t- my hung TV on my wall to look good and not move an outlet? Or is it that it did they solve something in a novel way where it was just really easy to use or simple or um, I remember, you know, using Google Maps and like one time where I was I was looking at something on my computer and then it it kind of went to my phone when I, it came time to actually commute. And um, I was like, man, that is such a simple um, that such a simple and elegant, like little transition or solution, you know, it was, it was like a novel way to kind of use something. And I was just like, man, this is, this is just simple, elegant, and it solved a problem. I didn't even really realize I had, to be honest. Um, and so, you know, sometimes those little things around you just kind of um, in, inspire you in other ways. I would say most of the inspiration that I get for designs and, and solutions within products they're very rarely actually from in the space or from competitors within the product that I'm using. Um, it's always... Doesn't it
0: keep it fresh for you? Like, sort of, it keeps it new?
1: Yeah, 100%. So, like, you know, if I'm looking at how to solve something, um, you know, like maybe I'm looking at a text editor. I'm I'm not looking at a text editor from a competitor. I'm looking at the best text editors that exist across the internet, right And that's maybe not going to be <laughs> my competitor, right. <laughs> um, and so it's it's kind of one of those things where it does kind of keep it fresh. Um, and so yeah, I don't know if that helps answer the question, but it's 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 interesting to just kind of have that constant exposure, keep logging that in sort of the back of your mind. Um, and you know, kind of uh, one other thing I do is I just check out product hunt. I, I'm maybe looking at categories of products that have nothing to do in the space that I'm in. But, uh, like I, like I said, you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. And just looking at some of the best products that are out there, it it's just, you know, you, you never know where that inspiration is going to come from. And that, that I found the most surprising over the time in my career. Do you
0: think, do you think simplicity is underappreciated? I think that, we have put so much pressure on technology as a sector to add more and more and more and more. And yet what I hear from from incredibly accomplished professionals like yourself is you lean into the simplicity, right? Sort of the simple change, the simple sort of edit in in air quotes to the experiences that we have in digital environments or through technology uh, and applications. And I'm wondering if we're getting now to a point where we can now appreciate it. it's almost like art. We can appreciate the simple things in technology that take a lot of, of course, you know, sort of complex backgrounds, um, and work to achieve the simplicity, but where are we with simplicity in the way in which we experience, uh, and in, in our relationship with technology?
1: Yeah. Uh, really, really early on in my career, there was a book called don't make me think, uh, and, uh, it's a great it title. Yeah, it, it really was, and uh, that became sort of like a framework for for everything. Um, and actually, even before that, when I was really young, uh, when when I was just a, a really young kid, my mom, you know, my mom came from Guyana. She has like a grade six education. She really inspiring lady, you know, uh, and and built a life out for the future of her family here in a, in a really beautiful way. And she worked in a factory in, at Ford building automotive parts. And there were these engineers that came in and they changed the, the way that the line worked. And uh, they did it in a way that was sort of impossible for the workers to like kind of do the work. And she was like, you come here and do this. <laughs> you come here and build this airbag in the way that you've engineered this line and see if you can do it. And um, she was super frustrated because there were like just tons of these parts. She was like a line leader and there were just tons of these parts that had to be scrapped. And, uh, you know, how did that happen? Like, how did a bunch of these like, you know, pretty smart engineers, they're not a bunch of of dummies. Right. How did they come in, kind of do this and then fail at um, and and then fail at it, like in a pretty epic way, in a pretty expensive way? And it was because they weren't really tuned into kind of like what uh, the line workers needed and what they needed was fast, simple, small operations, And uh, that kind of really shaped anything. I was just like, wow, end user consultation is sort of like super critical. It may not be the thing that it may not be the only thing that defines what the initial experience is going to be, because sometimes people have needs that they don't know about. But it was it was definitely the thing that made me realize, like, if you the way to know you have something simple (laughs) is by kind of testing it out with these folks and seeing if If it really is simple. And so that lesson from my mom, (laughs) you know, um, a long time ago that has nothing to do with software uh, kind of stuck with me really for the rest of my career. And that became like sort of a guiding principle to make sure that it is simple to make sure that. Um, you know, experiences people can understand uh, and kind of get through, that it's accessible to everybody who might be using different technologies. So, you know, at the end of the day, simplicity is key because nobody really wants to, um, nobody really wants to sit down and try to have to learn a thing. Um, That's really hard. Nobody has time for that. You know, how how do we kind of um, remove friction wherever we can, where it makes sense? And so, yeah, I don't know that lesson. Kind no, of
0: I, I love that. And I think it's actually a very apt example and a very visual one thinking about your mom and those conversations and sort of looking at something that is being over-engineered. I don't know why, but that term I keep hearing recently, uh, things being over-engineered. And also, I love that book title, by the way, I'm going to check that out. Don't make me think that should be on every coffee table when you have like a holiday party, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that reminded me of a book that I've loved for a long time. It's, I think it's over a decade old now, but incredibly relevant. It's Daniel Pink's, uh, A Whole New Mind. Oh, it's wow. a fantastic! you would love that book because it's, it's sort of the more that we develop, we actually fold in on ourselves and think we, our design becomes simpler and our furniture. Like you sort of take all of that knowledge and it folds in on itself. And that is sort of a, this is my opinion of, of what I read, but it's, That's sort of the symbolism that we are advancing because we can we have the capability to do that. Let's pivot to populations and the difference in product and design for, uh, you know, sort of these personas. What's, you know, sort of in the in the buyer persona, but really it's sort of the user, right? That you there are different sort of experiences um, that I guess you have to make educated guesses about that the the end user consultation will go well because it fit kind of their need. And you're in a space that works with educators <laughs> and student bodies, right? Yeah. So help me kind of walk me through any differences that you've experienced through your career and what you've been doing at digital ed, where you have to kind of understand these elements because they are sort of tentpole ideas and approaches to technology that have to be considered when you're building something that has to be iterative, like what you have in the STEM space.
1: Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, two completely different sides of the coin, right? And so the, the one thing that is kind of, uh, I would say, an amazing goal of the educators is trying to make sure that the students are successful. Um, you know, you, you never hear an educator that's like, I don't care about that. That is is that that is why they're there. You know, that yeah. is their raison d'être, And so um, everything that they're doing is in service to that. And so, um, in, in a way, what we've been doing is really focusing in on um, the that instructor experience because that allows them to deliver the best outcomes to students. Now, what is helpful for students? Well, one thing that's kind of important to note is one of the first – well, one of the highest classes that gets dropped first are mathematics <laughs> um and it's 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 hard to see and and why why does that happen uh, sometimes it happens because there's a missing part of the foundation that they don't have and so when you're trying to build on top of concepts that maybe they don't have they're you know it, it just doesn't really work for them uh or for whatever reason they've hit a log jam and and feel like maybe they're just not a math person and and you know how devastating is that um And so educators are really interested in figuring out how how do you create more interactive um, and kind of kinesthetic like learning experiences that can help students apply um, what it is that they're learning and and kind of work through it as opposed to a more passive uh, sort of experience. And so that's kind of what we've that's really what we've been working on is how do we do that? Uh, how do we help educators create those rich experiences that students then interact with and have those light bulb moments where they they get it? Um, and then how do we also help educators make sure that they continue to get it? How do we how do we provide and surface up information about how their students are doing? Maybe they maybe it's getting close to that dropout time and they've stopped submitting uh, assignments, or maybe they are, you know, getting to a point where. Um, you see that they're not doing super well on a couple of assignments and they kind of start not submitting assignments. And, you know, maybe that's a signal that um, they need to reach out because sometimes students don't reach out. They just have decided this is not for me for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, and and there was actually a moment uh, with a friend of mine who was in mathematics who was struggling for for a moment. And her light bulb moment was Um, figuring out how to calculate a raindrop rolling off a belief or, or something along those lines. And it was kind of for her a moment where she connected math with like the world around her in a way that like wasn't uh, that, that an educator had kind of opened up for her. And so um, that's really what we're focusing on. We're really focusing on, on that instructor experience to try to figure out how we create more of those types of experiences, those light bulb moments for folks. Um, and, you know, in terms of of some of the differences and challenges there, I, I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about buyer persona. Buyer personas, I mean, it, it depends on who it is. It's either going to be the people who whose uh, problem you're directly solving, so you have to make sure you're doing that really well. Well, um, or it's going to be somebody else who has the purse strings, but they're going to be listening to the people who um, are are directly impacted by the problem. So either way, you have to really be solving that problem in the right way, and that's really what we're we're uh, incredibly focused on. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to uh, to the next year as we sort of uh, work through some even more interactive experiences uh, for for instructors and students and creating those.
0: One, one thing I think that's interesting, Ruth, in the education space is that those in the technology side are a little bit like EMTs or they're sort of emergency room physicians because uh, the user in education has gone through a whirlwind of traumatic technological experiences <laughs> where they had expectations of technology that were either, you know, sort of not based in reality. Um, they were promised things that never sort of occurred. You know, they understood the term vaporware before they understood sort of, you know, I don't know, insert technology uh, ahead of that um, or after that. And so I find it interesting that you get dropped into an industry where there is that sort of that history of buyer's remorse and that you're in essence, you're not just in a, you're not just developing that experience in for that moment, but you're also sort of repairing at the same time you're like preparing the cellular makeup of the user. <laughs> and and that can be interesting because we did come from a period of time where everybody wanted more, they or they wanted technology to basically do everything. So if you had a platform, it was supposed to address every student, every problem, every uh, discipline, department, everything. But it's nice that we do now have technologies that are like, you know, this is sort of our core competency. We're really good in this space and it's okay that we drill down in say math and science and STEM and what we need from a technology for a professor and a student to have an exchange that is productive. Um, So I know that's a long way of saying, uh, is it, I find that powerful to be able to work in a sector where you can drill down and it's not just sort of this vanilla broad-based approach that does, tries to, or attempts to do everything for everybody that we've gotten a little bit smarter in the education space.
1: Oh man, that is such a great... Uh, that that's such a great observation i think a lot of folks have have kind of woken up to like jack of all trades and master of none and that being sort of a problem and you know, going back to that's why like just focusing on on solving a problem for people is so critical. Um, because it always comes back to that. So even if you're more focused, um if you are more focused as opposed to general, um, and you're solving that problem really well, that's where I, I think you know, people really see that and they experience it. The vaporware point just kind of <laughs> that kind of <laughs> that, that spoke to me directly because you're absolutely right. I think, you know, um, I, I I think when it comes to dealing with clients or dealing with customers or whoever it is, even if they're big ones, they're humans at the end of the day, right? And so just being upfront with them, you know, and just being really clear, like, hey, this is where we might be going. Do you want to provide some feedback on this? As opposed to we're having this done in X, you know, period of time, like just let them know really where you're at, you know, uh, people really value that and they'll be more willing to sort of participate, um, but, yeah, in terms of simplicity, that is and solving a problem, that's really what is is super critical. we're really we're really drilling down on that uh, over the next year, particularly for instructors uh, to really simplify and and just surgically uh, attack some of those those jobs to be done as as they're called in the u x world. And so, um, yeah, that part's really exciting. And and you're absolutely right. That focus, I think a lot of people have woken up to is being more important than a generalist thing that doesn't really solve any of the problems as well as they need to.
0: Well, as a former instructor, I greatly appreciate that you guys are continuing continuing to drill down. Let's close with this. So you've, you've mentioned this a number of times, which is that you're a problem solver and you enjoy solving problems if I were to write a poem or I were to write something about you in a very sort of visual manner, right? A very descriptive way. Am I describing you as an explorer, a digital explorer? Am I, are you a detective? Like what resonates with you when you sort of think, step back and think about really what it is that you're doing, that even if we were in a different era, you were in a different country, whatever it is, you'd still be employing those same sort of rooted, you know, uh, personality traits and passions as you are now?
1: That's a great question. I I guess I'm a bit of a scout. I like to look at... Scout,
0: I love that.
1: I I really like to look at, like, there's a problem that needs to be solved, but I like to kind of venture out ahead a little bit and try to see if there's like a a newer, interesting way of trying to solve that. And I'll, I'll kind of venture out and then pull that pull that back to the light like, to to everyone else. And I've always been you know really excited by different ideas or new ideas, and that's part of the reason why I love looking outside of the space that I'm in for inspiration. Um, uh, because I, I I just find that you know that if you put these these two completely different ideas together in a new way, you're solving a problem in a new way that maybe nobody's ever thought of. So uh, I guess I would say I'm a bit of a scout if I were to <laughs> to think about it. <laughs>
0: Ruth, I, that is one of the best answers to that question that I that I often find different ways of asking. Um, incredibly visual, and I absolutely say in our time that that matches my experience of you. This has to be, I will say this, uh, on record here, on air, that one of the most fascinating discussions around technology, for those that think technology is stale and boring, something that other people need to do to make us enjoy our lives better, they have it wrong. It's it's powered by incredibly thoughtful, creative scouts like Ruth Bierman. Uh, Ruth, what a pleasure to spend some time with you. Ruth Bierman, she's a Senior Director of Product and Design at Digital Ed. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.